Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to help us now so that we would keep your ways as we read of them in your word this morning. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we continue looking at the book of Philippians, which was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. And he's been encouraging the church to unite, to unite with one another and even to unite in following him. We saw that back in verse 17 of chapter 3 where he says, Join with others in following my example, brothers. And take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. He's also warned the church in Philippi again and again of those who would cause division within the church. Uh, There was quite a lot said about those people uh, from verse 2 in chapter 3. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. And then he spoke uh, uh, later on in verses 18 and 19 about uh, similar people. Uh, When we looked at that last week, uh, verse 18, For as I often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. These are people who are not united with Jesus. Uh, They're not united with his people either, the body of Christ. And in verse 19, it says that their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. And so last week, we studied that and looked at how we can see that there's antinomians and legalists who uh, could be described by these verses. Uh, But we see that their mind is set on earthly things, is the way we finished last week with the Apostle Paul. And he has, though, been encouraging the, the church to be united And so what should their mind be set on? What should they be united in setting their mind on? Well, it should be the opposite of earthly things, shouldn't it? It should be on heavenly things. They should be focused upon heavenly things. Why? Because their citizenship is in heaven. And we see that in verse 20. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. These are the verses that we'll be focusing on this morning. And we see that the Christians are meant to have their minds set on heavenly things because their citizenship is not in this world, not on this earth, but it is in heaven. And so what does that mean citizens do on this earth? Uh, and citizens of heaven do on this earth? Well, we eagerly await a saviour from there, from our home, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it says in verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. The church in Philippi would have known what it means to be a a, a citizen of a, a different nation whilst living in another nation. The church in Philippi is in part of Macedonia, and it was a Roman colony. So many of the people who lived in Philippi were actually Roman citizens, and they recognised that their leader, their real leader, is Caesar over in Italy, in Rome, whilst they live in a foreign nation, so to speak. Even though, of course, Rome, the Roman Empire, stretched over Macedonia, it has... Uh, It has particular meaning for the the Philippians because many of them are actually Italians who would have been settled there in Philippi as ex-soldiers, Roman soldiers. It was part of the way that they would uh, be given an inheritance from Rome was that they were given land in places like Philippi. And so these soldiers have served well in the army and now they are in a distant land, but they know that their citizenship originates in Italy. And that is the mentality that Christians are meant to have. Yes, we're in a foreign land. But we have a citizenship of another nation. We're not left citizens, uh, we don't have a citizenship anywhere. No, our citizenship is in heaven. And so therefore we eagerly await a saviour from there. As we are in distress in a foreign country, we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what will the Lord Jesus Christ do when he returns? 
Well, he will transform our lowly bodies. We see that in verse 21. Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. What does it mean to have our lowly bodies transformed to be like his glorious body? Well, we understand that the Lord Jesus in his resurrection body has a body that cannot suffer, cannot experience death, it cannot experience pain, and of course it cannot experience sin. Uh, When we are raised to life, we will be like the Lord Jesus. We will no longer have evil in us and coming out from us from the sinful flesh. No, we will be changed, we will be transformed, so we are like his glorious body. And we see this promise again and again through Scripture. Revelation 21 verse 4 says that about heaven that there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Those who live in heaven will not have a problem with death or mourning or crying or pain. We also see in Revelation chapter 21 that nothing, will, nothing impure will ever enter into heaven nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Nothing impure is in heaven. And that fits with the fact that our bodies will be raised as his glorious body was raised. And we even saw that this is throughout the Bible. Uh, That classic passage in Daniel chapter 12, which speaks so powerfully in the Old Testament about the resurrection of the dead. We read there in verse 2, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So we understand that we as citizens here are waiting for a saviour who will come and save us from this body of death and sorrowing and sin and evil, and he will save it by transforming our bodies. And isn't this what we want from politicians? Isn't this what we want from leaders? Isn't this what many in our country are eagerly awaiting for a politician to do for them? We're entering into an election year, particularly for our federal elections, and we're going to be electing later this year uh, Prime Minister of Australia. And aren't all our politicians at the moment trying to convince us that they can help us in this way? They can help us with pain. They can help us with suffering. They can help us with death. They can help us with evil that is amongst us. They're the ones who will be able to help us, who will be able to save us from these problems in this world. And yes, let's face it, our politicians are able to save us somewhat. They're able with health care to save us from suffering and pain. They're able with sanitation to save us from suffering and pain as well. Very grateful for the disposal of waste in our societies and as politicians who make sure that that happens so that we can live lives that are free from many of the sufferings that happen in places that don't have that good sanitation. They give us education so that evil is restrained somewhat in our society. And of course, we have police forces and military who will make sure that evildoers do not come and invade our nation and cause suffering and death. But it's only Jesus, only Jesus who can save once and for all not just till another election term, just not for his election term and maybe another election term that he may get. No, he saves once and for all from suffering, from death, from sin, from evil. He is the one who is able to change us so that we never have a problem with it again in his kingdom. In his kingdom, there's no need for hospitals. There's no need for education. There's no need for a judicial system. There's no need even to make sure that the trains run on time. If the trains in heaven 
and it will make sure people will be committed, they'll be faithful, and everything will flow smoothly. Trains will show up at the train stations at the designated time. Everything will flow perfectly in heaven because sin and evil is restrained and because suffering and sorrow has been removed. What a political saviour the Lord Jesus Christ is for his citizens. And so, of course, we as his citizens should eagerly await his return. We should eagerly await his return. Is that what you're doing? Are you eagerly awaiting it? See how it's put there in verse 20? But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there. We're waiting for him eagerly. It's like being homesick when we're in this world, that our home is of another place and that's where we'd really like to be because their suffering and sin is dealt with once and for all. Are you doing that? Are you eagerly awaiting a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, why not? Maybe a few reasons why you're not eagerly awaiting the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it because you feel that you don't need saving that much? You don't really have much of a problem with suffering and pain. Your body's pretty good. You haven't really felt too many health problems over the years. Maybe you're young enough that you haven't developed anything yet. Still a teenager. You've got all the strength there. And so you don't really need a saviour. Maybe you don't feel that you have much of a problem with sin. You don't sin. You don't at least do what other people do. And as for being hurt by others, you try and keep away from toxic people. Try not, try not to have too much to do with them. You live in a nice suburb where there's very little evil that's going on within your suburb. Your neighbours are nice people. And so you don't really feel like you need saving much. You don't need a saviour from there. Are you one who is breezing through life without any worries? So, of course, you don't wait for a saviour. Well, you've got to stop kidding yourself about the pain of this world. If you don't feel much pain now, you will. It's just a matter of time. And ultimately, that body will decay and die one day. It's a reality that we have to all face. Every person that is born dies. Even the Lord Jesus died. Everybody that is born dies. And everybody has a problem with sin. You've got to stop kidding yourself if you think you're not much of a sinner. We all have a problem with sin. We all hurt those around us. And we're all hurt by those around us. Even if you live in a very nice suburb, someone will come from another suburb and break into your home and steal your stuff. You can't prevent it. We live in a world that is troubled by sin. And so we need a saviour from there. But maybe you don't think that you need to eagerly await a saviour from there because... You don't want saving now. You want saving, sorry, you want saving now rather than in the future when Jesus transforms your lowly body to be like his glorious body. Do you want saving from suffering and pain and death now? You want no cancer, you want no strokes, you want no heart attacks, you don't want to die. Is that you? So, of course, you don't eagerly await a saviour from there because you want a saving now from the problems of this world. And it's the same with sin. You want perfection now. You want to be perfect now. You have New Year's resolutions so that you can be perfect now. And you want people around you to all be loving and kind now. That's what you want. And so you may follow Christ. You may say you're a Christian. You call yourself a Christian. But it's so that God will give you heaven on earth. You want heaven now. And so you don't eagerly await a saviour from there to transform you and change you and take you to be to um, the the kingdom that is to come, the the paradise that is to come. 
You want saving now. When you pray, it is always for healing now. When you pray for security, it is for security now in this world, on this earth. If that is you, understand that you have no promise from God, that he will remove all your sickness and suffering in this world. And you have no promise from God that he will remove your sin in this world. And he will remove you from all evildoers in this world. You read through the Bible, godly men still struggled with evildoers, hating them, speaking evil of them, doing horrible things to them. You read the Psalms, so many of the prayers in the Psalms are people coming to God, godly people, and they've been wrestling with evildoers. We have no promise from God that he will save us from evildoers and no promise from him that he will eradicate all our sinful tendencies in this world. Why else might you not expect a, eagerly expect a saviour from heaven? Well, it may be because you have no belief in Christ's power to bring everything under his control. I mean, that's what we're told in verse 21. Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they'll be like his glorious body. Why do we eagerly expect a saviour from there? Because he believe, we believe he can come and do it. He can transform our lowly bodies, so they'll be like his glorious body. Whereas if you don't believe he has the power to do so, then of course you're not going to eagerly expect him to come from there and change you and transform your body. Do you doubt Christ's power to save you from sickness and from death? Do you doubt Christ can forgive your sin and save you from sin and, and change your heart so that it never sins again? Do you rarely come to God in prayer? You never come to a prayer meeting because you do doubt whether Christ can actually have any power in your life. Jesus has shown. Jesus has shown his power over pain and death. How has he shown it? Well, the most glorious way is by his resurrection from the dead. By his resurrection from the dead, we know that he has power over pain and suffering and death. And we know he has power over sin. By the way that he took our sin upon him and still came back to life. And the way that he has sent his spirit into our lives so that we win battles against sin. Yes, we can't have sin eradicated from us completely. But we see victories in our lives. We see his power at work. His power by which he can bring everything under his control is at work in us. But if you do not really eagerly await the saviour from there what does it really show it shows that you're not actually a citizen of heaven if you're not eagerly awaiting christ jesus to come and change your lowly body to be like his glorious body doesn't it show that you're not a citizen of heaven can you be a christian if you don't need a savior or you don't need a savior from heaven you just need saving now or you don't believe that jesus has power to save you can you really be a Christian if you don't believe that? Whereas a citizen of heaven, he eagerly awaits Jesus, doesn't he? Why? Because he knows that his lowly body, he has a lowly body, and that he wants that glorious body that Jesus can give. Don't heavenly citizens know their sin? And so, of course, they eagerly await Jesus to save them totally. Don't heavenly citizens know that they can't have total saving now, that their best life is not now, it is yet to come? And so, of course, they eagerly await the Saviour from there. And don't heavenly citizens know Christ's power 
They know his power. They've seen his power at work in their lives. So, of course, they eagerly await his return, knowing it will happen. And we know that many people are eagerly awaiting an earthly saviour as we come into 2022. Uh, Many people hoping that the current Prime Minister will be re-elected, and hopefully with a greater majority, and he'll make some good promises in his election campaign, and he'll fulfil those promises, and we'll have a life after 2022, at least for three years, of less suffering, less death, and less sin. And then there's a whole other group of people who are hoping that a different Prime Minister will be elected. And he will be the one with his promises to make sure that we have less suffering, less death, and less sin. Isn't that what we're experiencing in 2022 as all the news media outlets are gearing up for the election? They're all looking for a political saviour. A saviour from suffering and death and sin. But aren't many also in Australia eagerly awaiting a heavenly saviour? A heavenly saviour. Are you? Are these verses, verses 20 and 21, speaking about you? The Apostle Paul spoke about himself. He spoke about the church in Philippi. Is he speaking about you? Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. Can that be said of you? And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Can that be said of you? If not, do you realise what that means? That when Jesus returns, he will come as a conquering king and your enemy, not your friend. Jesus will not transform your lowly body to be like his glorious body. Instead, you'll feel pain and suffering for eternity. If that is you, you need to repent. You need to turn from your sin before Christ returns. You need to turn and become a citizen of heaven. So when Jesus returns, he comes as your king, not a conquering king, not as an enemy's king, but as your king to remove suffering and death and sorrow and sin from your life. And you shouldn't delay. Don't delay. The Lord Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, verse 44, you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Our elections, they come in a very clearly uh, outlined time frame. You're going to have an election on this day. Hopefully we get, by Sunday, some sort of result, unless there's too many mail-in votes and we have to wait for all those to be counted. We have some sort of idea as to who's going to be the Prime Minister of Australia. And there's a particular time frame where there'll be a handover from one Prime Minister to the next. Lord Jesus doesn't give you a particular day and an hour. He says it can be any time. He says... You must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you, will not, when you do not expect him. Are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus' return? Are you ready as a citizen of his kingdom, eagerly awaiting his return? Or are you an enemy? And he could come at any moment and destroy you in his wrath. But if you are eagerly awaiting his return, You may be awaiting it, but you feel that you could be more eager in awaiting him 
You feel like these words here, yes, I await a saviour from there, but I would like to eagerly await it. I'd like to focus more on Christ's return. How do you find yourself more focused on heavenly things and less focused on earthly things? That when you read in verse 19, their mind is on earthly things, you fear that sometimes that's your focus. Your mind is on earthly things rather than on heavenly things. And you tend to look to earthly saviours and their promises. You do get caught up in election campaigns and you start to think this politician will make sure that we have less suffering and less sin in our nation. How can we be more eager for Christ's return? I'll give you three ways. Firstly, don't waste your sufferings. Don't waste your sufferings. Harness the pain that you feel in this world, in our lowly bodies, and long for the Saviour to come and turn our lowly bodies into his glorious body. Now, I'm not saying you can't pray for suffering to be removed from your life. Yes, pray for suffering to be removed. If you've got pain, it's okay to pray that the pain will be removed. But if God doesn't remove the pain from your life, use it, harness it, to long for the glorious body, to long for the Saviour that is to come, to long for your kingdom to be established and you to go home. There's a book by a famous preacher, John Piper, called Don't Waste Your Cancer. And he says similar things in that book. Don't waste your cancer. Lots of people waste their cancer. Lots of Christians waste their cancer. It's all woe is me and it's so terrible. And yes, cancer is terrible. But you can waste it if you don't use your cancer as a longing for a glorious body that is to come when the Lord Jesus returns. How else can we eagerly await the Saviour? Well, don't waste our failures and the failures of others, the sin of others. So many Christians look at their own sin and the sin of others and think, all can be solved now. If I just try harder, I can eradicate sin from my life. And if I just try harder with this person, I can make sure that they don't do that ever again. And it is good to pray and to work hard at eradicating sin from our lives. But if we can't, if we still struggle with a particular temptation, or we see someone else continuing to hurt us, no matter what we do, what should we do? We should harness the pain we feel from that sin. And eagerly await the Saviour who will come and transform our lowly body that struggles with that sin and transform it into being like his glorious body. We should harness the struggle so that we're not content in this world. We're discontented and we're longing for home. We're longing for Jesus to come and take us. So one way that we can eagerly await is by not wasting our sufferings. Second way is by not wasting our failures, our sin. Third way, how can we eagerly await Christ? Well, don't waste our blessings. Use them to long for Jesus. God has demonstrated his power again and again in the past that he has power to bring all his enemies under his control. And the great example of that is by his resurrection from the dead. He has shown by his resurrection from the dead that he has power, great power, power that can change our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. And the Spirit continues to show that power in our lives day by day, every day. 
We see the Spirit's power by regeneration, by the fact that he changes us from being enemies of Christ to being his friends. And then we see the fruit of the Spirit displayed in our lives as we continue to wrestle with sin and overcome sin. We don't overcome it all together completely, so we never sin again. But we see his work in our lives. His power is there. And so therefore we take that power that we see at work in our lives and have increasing confidence that the Lord Jesus will return and transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious bodies because he is the one who can bring everything under his control. We have evidence again and again in our lives. If we just open our eyes to see his power at work, so that we have confidence that he'll come and return. We see this when we pray for things that we're really concerned about, and then he graciously answers our prayers. We even saw this in our home last week. A child left a school bag on a bus, a public bus, not a private school bus, where we'll go back to the school, left a sports bag, brand-new sports bag, brand-new shoes, brand-new basketball uniform on a public bus. Call was made to the depot, a statement was lodged, and we waited over the weekend and we prayed and we prayed that this bag would show up. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's just a few hundred dollars, but it was concerning to the whole household and particularly to the person who'd left it on the bus. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed. At family worship and privately, we prayed that this bag would show up. Monday morning, ring the depot. No bag, sorry. Try the school. Ring the school. Lost property at the school. I'll go and check. Receptionist says, comes back, yes, I've got a bag here. Name, something or other, Radford. Someone kindly got the bag on the bus, took it to the school and left it there. We'll never know who, but God knows who. It's God who in response to our prayers got some random person to take that bag to the school. And so what happened? Our faith was increased in the power of prayer. And not just in the power of prayer, but in the power of the one who we pray to. And so we have increasing confidence that what he says here in his word is true, that one day he will return and transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. Of course he can. Because we've seen how he has changed our soul already. He has regenerated it. He has brought about effects in it that we could not achieve. And he kindly answers prayers about school bags. He has the power. And so we have confidence then. And so what do we do? We eagerly await his return. Because we know it will happen. It will happen one day despite the doubts that swirl in our minds. It will happen. And then there's a fourth way. Sorry, I said there were three, but there's three ways that I've been hammering again and again about our suffering and about our sin and about God's power. But there's a fourth way. How can we eagerly await the Saviour from there, not lose focus, whilst unite with other citizens on earth to encourage us? And this is what the whole book's been about. So we unite with other citizens. They encourage us that one day our sufferings will be removed, that one day our sin will be removed, that Christ has power. Citizenship is a unifying concept. This idea that we are citizens 
has this idea of a city and people making up that city, and we're all part of that city together. We have unity together. And so they encourage us to have the focus that we should, the focus of the city. You can't have a citizen of just one. I just finished reading the book uh, Robinson Crusoe. It's about a man who gets stranded on a deserted island. And at one point in the book, he talks about how, you know, he's king of his domain, he's got his goats and he's got his farm growing and everything, and he's, he's developed his own little area, and he's got his parrot, the only one that talks to him. Um, he, and he's, he's, he sees himself as, like, king of the domain. But he's not a citizen. It's not a city. There's no one else there, just some animals and him. If we are citizens of heaven then there are citizens around us. And we're meant to unite with them. That's what Apostle Paul has been saying again and again. We need to unite with one another. Why? Many reasons. But so that we can encourage one another to look forward to the return of Christ. That's what should be the focus of some of our meetings. And and when we're talking with one another, we should be saying, won't it be wonderful to be in heaven? And you won't have to worry about that anymore. Whatever it is, whatever suffering, whatever pain, whatever sin you're struggling with, need citizens to remind you that the king is coming and we won't have to worry about it one day. But why should we eagerly await this, citizen, uh, this saviour from there? Why should we be so eager for him to come? Well, of course, it gives us confidence that we are citizens of that kingdom. If we're not eagerly awaiting him, well, then are we really his citizens if we don't want to see the king one day? But the other reason is so that we have joy and contentment now as we look to Jesus and love him. How so? Well, we won't despair every time suffering comes along because we know that one day the holiday is coming. How do you put up with trouble at work? Often it's by knowing that a break is coming. You're looking forward to a holiday. How do we put up with the sin and suffering in this world? It's by knowing that the break is coming one day. It is going to come. And so we're not on this emotional roller coaster as things go up and down, in our li- as our emotions go up and down because of things that are happening in our lives. As our health becomes a struggle for us and doctors fail us and politicians don't give us the health care that we need, well, we know that one day Jesus will return and he will solve our health problems. And so we can, in some sense, distance ourselves from the pain and the suffering because we know that one day the holiday is coming, the rest is coming. And, of course, we can have joy now by awaiting Jesus every time sin attacks we won't be on this constant emotional roller coaster of, look at what this person is doing to me. Their sin is so evil and they don't stop hurting me. We can distance ourselves from it. Not because Jesus will take it away immediately, take that person away, but because we know that one day he will take that person away from us. Either take them away completely or transform them so they never hurt you again. And so we can distance ourselves from the harm and even have a joy in the midst of the suffering of sin. How else can we have joy now by awaiting Jesus? Well, we rejoice in Christ's power when we see it. Every time we get a confirmation that the Lord Jesus has power in this world, we rejoice. And so we eagerly await him and his power to transform us, that will transform us from our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. So there is really only one prime minister, one prime minister, who can truly save us, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's all eagerly await him. 
not so that we can have our best life now, but because we know that our best life is coming. Let's come to him in prayer now. Let's come to him in prayer. Lord Jesus, we do praise you as the one who has power to bring everything under your control. And you have the power to transform our lowly bodies so they'll be like your glorious body, without pain, without death, without sin. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for making us citizens of your kingdom and promising to return to transform us and take us to live with you in heaven. But Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for not eagerly awaiting your return. And so we ask that you would help us to use suffering, to use sin, to use blessings, to help us to focus on your return and to rejoice in its coming. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to help one another to focus upon you and to eagerly await your return as citizens together. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.